0: What is up, everybody? This is, if you're listening to this publicly, it's a preview. Otherwise, patrons, you'll hear the whole thing. Before we get into anything, I need to do some housekeeping, which you'll hear at the end of the public episode that comes out right before this. But just to be clear, we are doing one public episode a month. We are still doing two Patreon episodes a month. That is the deal. So patrons, you will get the same amount of content you were paying for, for the same price. And everyone else, you'll get a little bit longer samples of the Patreon conversations, but you'll only be getting one major public episode. Josh Bregman and I are going to continue to move through Robert Hughes's art history. We're going to do both the rest of Shock of the New and Hughes's series on art history which we think will be quite interesting and the next reading series we're going to do we're going to abandon the guy we were taking a look at before and do something that everybody seems to have a take on but no one seems to have read which is francis fukuyama's the end of history so you can expect one of those episodes probably to come out towards the end of july so all that housekeeping aside john mike what is up it is good to be back in the lab with you guys after our long hiatus
1: yeah i was imagining like early 2000s style sports promo commercials where we're all like folding our arms and looking (laughs) dramatically at the camera and it's like they're back because the world is too jacked up
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) i did nine It's got like the punchy synth horns. Dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I was like, well, that world is dead. And that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah man. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I have to check the news every day now because of grid brief and like, see what's going on. And um, we were talking before re- recording about how awful the energy situation is, that's my full-time job, is looking at how awful that is and then telling people about how awful it is. And the fellas, feels like decline, not going to lie to you. Feels like elite incompetence is run rampant in the West. I don't really know anybody that's handling this very well.
2: I I don't know how you avoid thinking that the empire is ending at this point, frankly. Oh, the,
0: the multipolar world is here. Yeah. It it happened. It, w- it was like in the background. And then in February, as soon as Putin rolls across that border, the multipolar world was born.
2: <laughs> yeah. That, I, I mean, I, I was thinking just recently, I mean, about John Michael Greer's kind of essays about the sort of, sort of speculative fiction essays about the end of the American empire. And he chooses this kind of image of an American aircraft carrier having been hit by Chinese Dongfeng missiles, you mm. know, supplied to some African country that the U.S. is intervening in. And like in his sort of fictional, this is what causes everyone to realize, you know, like the empire is over. And then shortly thereafter, there's like a constitutional convention, and everyone goes to the constitutional convention and just realizes that they actually don't want to get along anymore. And, you know, a federal state isn't really in anyone's interests and this kind of thing. And it's like, you know, actually, the the ukraine situation may kind of have served the the sinking aircraft carrier is not not as visually compelling perhaps but served the same function in terms of informing anyone who who cares to pay attention that like things have changed you know and we can already see the the divisions domestically in in the us ramping up you know and the states starting to look around and saying you know like we're not actually sure that the federal government is a is a net benefit to us anymore
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I have a lot of conflicted feelings that I haven't really like worked through on this, like at all, you know, that's part of why I've been returning to lash again and trying to do a deeper dive and understand who he was and what he was looking at because the seventies seems to be like an equally fractious period. You know, it's hard to undersell how paralyzing stagflation blended with the OPEC crisis was. Like, I think that was more impactful, honestly, than the 60s. The 60s has a lot of spectacular stuff. And of course, the civil rights movement, which we can't discount, and incredible assassinations. But really, I think what solidified our world was the 70s.
2: yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you look at it from the perspective of a crisis of of capital and a crisis of labor power in the U.S. and perhaps accumulation of capital in the U.S., you know what what ends up solving that is this geographic fix—the move into East Asia—and that's that's no longer available, right? So we have we have a very similar kind of crisis situation, but the escape valve is no longer there. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no Reagan coming. There's no, you know, breaking of of the labor unions that can be done in order to revitalize capital yeah. or whatever.
0: Yeah, know. that's already happened. There's no either the monopolies to slay are so entrenched and probably like basically that's just the way those industries work now. Yeah. That there aren't even people waiting in the wings to inject capital. Into competitive firms that would undo
1: it.
2: Like I, 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 the, the, one of the most shocking things about the, the Ukraine situation for me is just watching like like Raytheon talk about like oh yeah we can make more javelins, but it's going to take like five years or four years to ramp up that production. It's, like, yeah, it's okay. It's like dude, like, what have
0: you guys been doing? Like this is all you fucking do? Yeah. <laughs> like Raytheon of the '80s is like you were like little baby like yeah. <laughs> right out of the 80s is just like I will literally skin graft myself into a javelin missile yeah. <laughs> on the congressional floor right now to make this happen.
2: Yeah, it's it's wild. Like I I genuinely wonder and I I mean I I look around now and you know there's there's some talk here in Canada of some rearmament stuff happening. And, you know, whether or not you think that's a good idea, like it it probably is not a good idea for like NATO countries and the American empire to like really try to do a muscular rearmament. But I I don't think it's possible. Like, I, I think this is this is an example of what we've been talking about in a lot of different areas, which is this kind of like the intermediation resulting in the extraction of rents at the expense of institutional effectiveness, right? So it's like, it's not even clear that the empire can produce the munitions required in order to fight like a fairly limited war against what supposedly, I mean, like maybe even three, four years ago, like Russia in kind of like official discourse was treated as like not a pure competitor. Not even remotely, right? Like people, oh yeah, like the Russian army. Well, uh, what trash, Obama like...
0: said, he told Mitt Romney that you know he was like the nineteen eighties called, and they want their foreign policy back.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: right. That was one of the famous barbs from that debate. And like, look, it's 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 some real way we've talked about this on the show. The Soviet Union was never a competitor in the way that the CIA and the Defense Department sold it to the American people as after World War II, very. Damaged society, like the losses incurred there, like unfathomable, it's industries in total disarray that never really stopped. But, you know, the thing that happened is that everybody forgot now that commodities are king.
2: Yep. Commodities
0: are king. It doesn't matter, like, if you can sell fucking Doritos out the wazoo, if you can't get the semi- conductor chips, you're fucked
2: yeah or or metals gas you know i mean it's yeah we like our elites genuinely believe their own bullshit and you know like the, the knowledge economy stuff and it's just completely obvious now that like they can't back off of that there's there's no no way out of this where it's like, well, actually, it turns out that you need a physical economy and to, look, to like do the, anything.
0: And and like total renationalization isn't happening either. And it's not happening for Russia, right? The gambit that Putin's playing right now, because like he relies on German compressor parts, Italian, like whatever dials and shit for all of his oil infrastructure, for all of Russia's oil infrastructure, right? Like they don't make a hundred percent of that stuff domestically. However, russia needs that less than europe needs russian energy
2: yeah absolutely and
0: that and he's just like wait till winter bitch like (laughs) you know we'll see because the other thing is is like you know if russia has supply problems and they have refineries come under attack right now but if they continue to have supply problems it's not like that makes the situation easier
2: for europe no no, not at all.
0: American refineries at nine are at 94% productive capacity right now. We haven't built a major refinery since 1977.
2: Yeah, and I mean it's not even clear that it like can it can it still be done? Can it really still be done? Or is there simply too much no? I think
0: I think it can. I think it can be done. I think it would take 10 to 15 years to build one. Right. And I also think that, you know, no one wants to take the risk on it because you never know if a democratic administration is going to come in that says we're ending this industry in five years.
2: Yeah.
1: No, I think it's probably the worst time to be getting out there and trying to get money for a really long term project because. Yeah. The whole, I've been like living under a rock by choice and it's been kind of nice, but I just poked my head out like the other day and I was like, oh, what's this JP Morgan and Chase is going to get conservative with their balance sheet. Like, oh, okay. I guess yeah. things are getting pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, Cause uh, like,
0: look, high prices aren't a problem really. I mean, they are, but what's worse is volatility. That's what freaks people out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, people talk a lot about inflation, but I mean, we could be say, seeing like rapid inflation, as well as deflation, cycling through those things in different areas of the economy. And, you know, that, that volatility could really wipe people out much more effectively than like predictable inflation, for instance.
0: Mm.
1: Have you guys heard like, do you know anything about the Lithuania thing?
2: I, I've only just heard about the, it's Kaliningrad, right? That they are blockading or preventing. Right. Uh,
1: Wait, what's yeah, happening? Like, I guess Curtis Yarvin, I like skimmed a, a post of his, I guess he was saying like, like a blockade, like something going on in Lithuania is like a potential hotspot for like NATO to do their best to bait Putin into like a more direct conflict oh fuck me and how that was concerning him to like a great degree and i guess the idea is like we're pretty much pinning all of our hopes on the wisdom of putin to not do that and while it's probably true that he like is smart enough to not do something like that it's also like fairly depressing to think to yourself that the hopes for like some continuation of like the state of affairs that supports our lives is resting on the wisdom of of Mr. Putin is kind of like I wish there were more things between me and that uh, I guess I could agree you know like that would probably be best if we had more yeah. to rely on yeah but I guess the like even hand in the in the cold war was usually on the Soviet side for whatever reason they had several chances and reasons to to go in on the nuclear mm-hmm. option and just didn't and it turned out yeah. to like work out
0: yeah
2: I think, I think right now, I mean, they don't need to, and that might be enough, right? Because is, is, it looks to me like Russia has achieved its war aims in Ukraine, has effective control over Eastern Ukraine, doesn't really need...
0: They don't need to escalate further. Why they, would it, they? It,
2: they, yeah, they don't, they don't need much more than what they have now. And, you know, at this point, it's like, who, who is actually suffering from the state of affairs induced by the war? And the sanctions it, didn't work. Yeah, it's it's the West, right? Like it's Western Europe is right now getting a lesson in who is the natural hegemon of Eurasia, and it's Russia. It's it's just, it's it's not the U.S. Like surprise, you know. But yeah. that that was uh, you you know that's that's an old idea, you know. This uh, that's something that Greer talks about too, like the world island and Mahan's idea of of sea power and so on. You know, like that that's a just a very old fundamental idea that you know russia is really the central resource power of the eurasian continent and you have to deal with them right like you, there's no alternative to this and there's no way i mean like the idea that like lng is going to replace russian gas is insane You're fucking um, dreaming. Yeah, it can't can't be done. There's no tanker capacity, there's no terminal capacity to do it. You know, and like even even if you could, it would be the most vulnerable supply line to the Russian navy, right? Like if you were really concerned about that, like that th- this is going to go to a hot global war, well, like guess who has a great interceptor sub fleet that can dash out from its arctic ports and sink a bunch of tankers so it's the fucking Russians. Right. right. So like what are you gonna do about that? Well, you know
0: I mean look like it's springtime for the petro states in Europe right now. Yeah. You know, like they're like okay fine. <laughs> like you know, I think a lot of climate shit is about to get wrecked. You know, yeah. like that concern is just gonna go out the window for most normal people, I think. And we're gonna see a big coal resurgence. We're already seeing that now. You know, we're seeing that in the US too by the way. Yeah, Indiana, one of its major utilities is because of all the supply chain issues with solar is like, yeah, we're just going to keep some coal plants running because we don't even know if this shit's going to get built, you know? So, I mean, I think really this is a situation of what's old is new again. You know, like there were wildly optimistic ideas about what relatively free trade could bring to the world. And I don't want to poo poo that it's not like everything that's happened since then has been terrible. And it's not like there aren't any benefits to trade. That is sort of like an insane take. I see people have every now and again, but to me, it's sort of like Silicon Valley optimism where it's like, what happens the day after, you know, what happens during the hangover?
1: If anything, it worked. It's just that. Like it worked in that there's a global economy that's kind of like reliant on being connected and then it's in everyone's best interest to like not screw that up the Mm -hmm. way in which it didn't work is that people are just screwing it up for really like no benefit (laughs) like it's an insane thing that like it would be difficult to predict people really wanting to like do this i mean you could on different bases but like you know the the system almost works it's just that it can't contain whatever's going on in the minds of, of like, I don't know people in Brussels or whatever, et cetera, whatever they do and think I can hardly understand (laughs) for a long time. It reminds me of the Zion thing where he was like, Europe is just kind of screwed. Like, unfortunately for Europeans, he just came out with a
0: book too on the coming collapse of globalization.
1: Oh. I I, I haven't seen anything from him in like five years or so, but that's something he was talking about a while ago.
0: Yeah. He just had a new book come out. I've seen him doing a lot of stuff about it. I mean like, okay. So let's pan out, right? Because we're doing a lot of current events. That's not all we do here. Obviously. I think one of the things that I've been wondering in all of this, right. So I've moved back to Chicago. I've moved back to where I'm from. Since I was 18, I have lived in Vermont, Florida, New Mexico, and California. Like I've lived over most of the, throughout most of the country at this point. And the question that I'm asking myself now, personally, politically, culturally, is what it fundamentally means to be American at this juncture. And I think Even if that seems like a tertiary question, it's not, because what I really want to know is, what is it that holds this together? And why are we doing it?
2: Yeah. No, I, I think that's probably, like, if you're American, like, that's the most pressing question that you can be asking right now. And there might not be a good answer for it is the scariest part, right? You know, yeah. if if there is one, well, it better be found pretty soon because things are starting to fray.
0: Right. It was interesting. So I was re-watching The Good Shepherd last night. I stayed up way too late. The Robert De Niro directed things starring Matt Damon and Angelina Jolie. Totally, like movie no one seems to talk about anymore, fantastic. When I pirated it in college, I had, it was lost on me. And now that I know like anything about 20th century American history, I'm like, wow, it is amazing this movie got made. It's like fantastic. And I think Bregman and I might do an episode about it. So I don't wanna say too much, but there's this great moment, you know, Matt Damon's character plays this total skull and bone society, you know, there for the founding of the CIA character. And at some point, you know, he has to make a deal with an Italian mobster to help get at the Cubans. And that is played, of course, by Joe Pesci, the mobster. And Joe Pesci's like, you know, like, you I don't get. Where he's like, Italians, we have the church, we have our families, the Irish have their homeland, the Jews have their tradition. he goes, even the Blacks have their music. What do you people have? And Matt Damon just goes, the United States of America, the rest of you are just visiting. (laughs) (laughs) And like, that is a level of like wasp pretension that is literally impossible today. Like the, the, the cowboy Yankee war happened. Cowboys won. (laughs) No, the Cowboys won. The new deal totally changed that by bringing european immigrants into the fold and to some extent the first gestures towards bringing, bringing black americans into the fold that would be solidified by lbj you know especially into the employment of the bureaucratic state and like what who are we at this point is the question i ask like i'm asking myself a very a more specific question other than like who are we which can be a little bit too big right Let's say, like I've been been taking a second look at some fights over the New Deal, right? And how the American consensus was created. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is that on the left and the right, there were just favorite founding fathers. So the National Association of Manufacturers, the Business Roundtable, all these guys are very explicitly